have your Bibles, we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 2 this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 15. If you need a Bible, raise your hand up high and Richard will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 through 15 this morning. Beginning in verse 8, we read, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. In Him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. The title of my message this morning is Keeping It Simple. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, this opportunity to gather together, knowing, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit, you are here to teach us and instruct us of, of all things. Father, we pray that we would have just an open ear to receive all that you have for us. Lord, we do pray if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you or maybe they're listening via a podcast to this message. They don't know you. They don't know what it means to have their sin forgiven. We pray, Father, that you would especially touch their heart this morning and, and this time as they hear this message and they would turn to you and they would get saved today, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word and we thank you, Lord, for this time together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I found some 80s songs that you'll know the title, if I said the titles, but I'm going to give you different words of the titles, kind of synonym. So see if you can guess them. Do not get rid of your faith. Don't stop believing. Okay, that's that's okay. Now you get where I'm going with this. Like sensitive organ in a species of feline usually found in, in Asia. Eye of the tiger. Yeah, someone got that one. These one is about as well over first service as they're going over second service. I'm keeping going. The morning meal at the house of an 80s pop singer. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Okay, let's try some Beatles, okay, from the 60s. Maybe it's the age group. A plot of cultivation belonging to an animal with eight centrally directed muscular arms. Octopus's garden. Yeah, there you go. One more. You're going, really? Boxer Balboa is a small nocturnal carnivore. Rocky Raccoon. It's a Beatles song. Years ago, there was a paper written from the Department of Psychology at Princeton University that had the title, Consequences of an Erudite Vernacular Utilized Irrespective of Necessity. Translation, 
problems with using long words needlessly. You may have heard this principle. It's an acronym for crit, for KISS. Keep it simple, saints. You thought I was going to say stupid, didn't you? <laughs> I'd never call it stupid. I just say, keep it simple, saints. I am convinced that we as Christians should be leading simple lives. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew eleven thirty, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because after we come to Christ, all of our burdens are lifted. All of our guilt is removed and in its place is, is a peace that passes understanding. But sadly, we find that uh, once those burdens are lifted, it's not too long after coming to Christ that we often start stacking burdens on us again. Different burdens, but the burdens are just the same. And what happens in a short span of time is a life in Christ in which we are called to enjoy has now become a life in Christ that is complicated. A life that is in Christ that is complex. And you may be all raveled up in knots with all these responsibilities that you didn't have before when you were a heathen. I mean, don't you remember those early days in life? I mean, I remember when I was 14 years old. I didn't have a car. Travel was based upon if I could walk, ride my bike, or my mom took me. Leaders to say, I didn't, I didn't travel it very much. But now I have a car. Not just one car, I have two cars, but only one of them that's running. And, and with each one comes responsibility. And, and not like the easy days when, you know, just my mom could take me where I needed to go. No, now I have to have insurance. I have to have registration taken care of yearly or every two years. I gotta get the safety inspection. I gotta get, making sure it runs properly, the tires, the air conditioning, the, the, the engine oil, making sure I have gas. And you go, oh, I remember those days when I have to, didn't have to worry about none of that. How about when you had your, your first apartment, you know? Rent. I mean, that was it. Owner took care of everything. They took care of the lawns and maintaining the air conditioning filters. Even in some cases, the utilities were covered uh, by the owner. And I didn't think about it. If something went wrong, I just called the apartment manager and they would take care of it. But now, no, I, I, I wanted a home. I need a house. Now I have to take care of it. <laughs> got to make the repairs. I got to maintain the air conditioning filters. I got to pay for the utilities. That's why as you get older, you're turning off the lights all the time. I remember when I could eat whatever I wanted and never put on weight. So much simpler back then. You know, I could pick any restaurant. It didn't matter if all they served was greasy hamburgers. It's what I liked. I didn't have to worry about it. You know, someone telling me it's not good for me. It's going to kill me. Of course, I should have listened to that. You know, I mean, you know, I might be in better shape today. But I remember Del Taco, double Del cheeseburgers and... Cheese quesadillas and an extra large cherry Coke, 32 ounce cherry Coke. And it wasn't just, it's like every day. I mean, it was simpler then. I didn't worry about what I ate. Perhaps when you first came to the Lord, your life was simpler then. All you knew was that Jesus loved me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And you had that joy and you had that simplicity and you had that, that just loving the Lord and worshiping Him and it was great. And then someone came along and said, well, how are you baptized? In the name of Jesus or in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Were you dunked or were you sprinkled? Are you a premillennialist or a amillennialist, a pre-trib, a mid-trib, or a post-trib? Are, are you a Calvinist or Arminius? Do you like hymns or contemporary worship? Do you go to church on, on Sunday or Saturday, the real Sabbath? Do you speak in tongues or do you not speak in tongues? Is it the King James Version only or, or is it the NIV? And you go, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I just want to praise the Lord and be taught. That's it. I just want to love the Lord. 
And you're finding yourself in doctrinal debates, looking at rules and regulations and preferences and policies, and you wonder, where did this simple time of just loving the Lord and worshiping the Lord go? Well, see, this was the problem in the church in Colossae. We need to remember the reason Paul was writing to this letter to the the Colossians because as the church grew, people from all over were coming from different walks of life entering the church. But with such diversity in the church, there were some who looked at it as an opportunity to set up camp and gain influence and status and in so doing, start to push some of these heavy burdens on the people in the church, burdens that God never intended us to have. And they would introduce principles into these new believers' lives that would make their lives miserable, complicated. Four main groups that were laying heavy burdens on this church were the Gnostics, one. Number one, Gnosticism, who taught that they were the religious elite within the church, that they had this higher knowledge than others, and that they had something to add to the personal experience of Christ. Then you had the Judaizers, who were laying on them the burdens of legalism, and rituals, and you got to return to the law and Judaism to really be saved. And again, adding to a person's experience in Christ. Then you had the Eastern philosophers and mystics, which basically said matter is evil, spirit is good, spiritualism and astrology you needed to add to your experience with Christ. And then you had the Essenes, who were trying to tell you that truly experience, to truly experience Christ, that their, uh, that their spirituality came through self-denial and hyper-self-discipline. Each of these individually and collectively demean the status of Jesus Christ. So to counter this, Paul wrote to the Colossians encouraging them to stay with Christ. That in Christ we have all that we need. Not that doctrine is not important. Catch this. Doctrine is quite the opposite. It's extremely important. As Paul corrects so much of the false teaching going on to the point where Peter says, you know, some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. I think you could say that about the, the book of Colossians. Some of the things you're going, well, what is he saying here? But Paul's main point this morning, not that doctrine isn't important, it is important, but our focus needs to be on that personal relationship with Jesus and what he's done for us and the preeminence of Christ. And back to the simplicity of just loving him and serving him and being blessed by simply knowing him. So Paul here tells us, gives us three things in this section of scripture if you're taking notes. Number one, we need to beware. Number two, we need to believe. And number three, to behave. Number one, beware. Look at verse 8. It says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul gets to the heart of the message to the Colossians and us, and he wants them to beware, to be on guard. He was telling the church to watch out, to be careful, to stay alert. Why? Because there there are many who would seek to draw us away from the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. And they will attempt to cheat you and rip you off. They will pander something that sounds better, but it's not. Beware of cheaters, he's saying. I saw an ad that read, Are you tired of being ripped off? Have no fear. Send me a check for $29.99 plus $3.99 shipping and handling and you'll get my brand new book, How Not to Get Ripped Off. Beware, Paul says, lest anyone cheat you. That word for cheat can also be translated spoil. 
You know, when you think of the word spoil, we think of, you know, rotten fruit or rotten meat. But the Greek word is silagogio. And it's only used once in the, the Greek New Testament. And it's right here. And it comes from two words. Uh, silly, which means booty, and the word ago, which means to carry. It literally means to capture and carry off as a spoil to lead to captive. Paul says there are those who are trying to take you and take you captive. To carry you away, to cheat you, to rip you off. And he explains how they are attempting to do this in four ways in verse 8. Through philosophy, through empty deceit, through the tradition of men and the basic principles of the world. He says, beware of those who would cheat you with philosophy first. Please know that Paul was not against philosophy as such. The word philosophy actually comes from two roots. uh, Philo, which means to love of, and sophie, which means wisdom. So it's the love of wisdom, philosophy. But it was a type of philosophy, the type of wisdom that Paul was warning us of, human wisdom, worldly, earthly wisdom. Yeah, God wants us to acquire wisdom and knowledge. The question is, from what source? Where is the wisdom and the knowledge coming from? Are we turning to God's word to find the wisdom and the knowledge? Are we looking for it somewhere else? Listen, if your car breaks down, I wouldn't tell you to read your Bible. I mean, I'll tell you to read your Bible every day anyway, but I wonder if your car breaks down, I'll tell you that to read the automobile manual, you know, go online, see how to fix it. If your arm breaks, I wouldn't tell you to read your Bible, I'll tell you to go to the doctor or read a medical manual. But for matters of the heart, for matters of, matters of the soul and our minds, I would plead with you to go to the Lord and read your Bible, for it alone contains the answers that we need. Secondly, Paul says, there is empty deceit. Which simply means devoid of real truth. Words spoken to confuse, to undermine, and to manipulate. These false teachers were propagating their lies through manipulation and confusion. The King James Version calls it vain deceit. They were saying things that sounded great, but they were empty lies, falsehoods, inaccuracies. You see, CNN wasn't the first to have fake news. It goes all the way back here as well. You know, we see it all the time today. You know, that we see it in political interviews, people lying. They lie continually. And when they're caught lying, what do they do? They, they lie some more. They lie about the most basic things. I would say this, with the current situation going on, be very, very careful about what you hear today about this coronavirus and the narrative that a fear that the media wants to promote. I agree with what I read that Pastor Greg Laurie recently said about it. He says, we need to pray against not only the spread of this new coronavirus, but the spread of fear of the virus. The promises of God are still true. God is bigger than the coronavirus. And he says, so be practical about hygiene and safety. Be prayerful for God's protection and be proclaiming the gospel. I like that. And then he goes on with this prayer. Lord, you are bigger than this virus. And we are praying that these numbers will start going down. We are praying that anyone that has it will be healed. And we are praying, Lord, that we will not live in fear, but we will live in faith. I agree 100%. But there's a, a narrative of fear that the media wants to promote. And, and so often we see lies and we see confusion. Same thing happening 2,000 years ago. You know, basically coming from the Gnostics or Gnosticism, they had a slogan, as God was, man is, as God is, man can become. It sounds kind of good, but it's not true. In fact, there's cults today that believe the same thing. 
as God was once a man, but because he lived a virtuous life, a noble life, when he died, he was reincarnated in a series of successive lives until finally, like Jesus, you too can become a God and have your own planet and, and be your God of heaven. There's thousands, maybe millions, who believe that they are on a journey to becoming gods. That's empty stuff. Beware, Paul says, lest anyone teach you through philosophy and empty deceit. Now let me say this. These people who are attempting to lead the Colossians astray, they were not bad people. They were not immoral people. In fact, they may have exceeded many of the Christians in pure moral living. They were sincere. They were sincerely wrong. Their sincerity, their, their, their rational thinking, their comprehensive belief system, their good moral behavior, all made like this, this huge Venus flytrap. And people get caught up and drawn into it, much like the Mormon cult of today. They look great on the outside, but it's seductive and it's deadly and it's deceitful. They're as empty as a, as a hot air balloon. It's empty deceit or, or vain deceit. Well, next, Paul shows us the, the basis of this philosophy and deceit and how they were being ripped off. In the last part of verse 8, it's according to the tradition of men and according to the basic principles of the world. According to the tradition of men. That word tradition means something passed down from one generation to the next. But in this case, it's not based upon the word of God, but the intentions of men. Now, that today also is a problem. Many of you know the church that I was raised in, very steeped in tradition, that sadly many, I would say, millions are thinking that they're deceived, that they're going to heaven because they believe in the traditions of men or the authority of one man, the Pope, and not God's word. And as long as I do what the church says, then I'm going to go to heaven eventually. And these people follow these traditions and follow these rituals and are deceived into thinking that if they work hard enough, they'll just get to heaven. You'll never hear Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 taught. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. Even Jesus condemned the religious rulers of his day because they taught the tradition of men rather than the word of God. And then the fourth thing in verse 8 that Paul says is according to the basic principles of the world. The word for basic there is a Greek word used to express order such as the letters of the alphabet. According to the ABCs, the one, two, threes of worldly principles. Some people, they like to, to build their life around a worldly system, some 12-step program. But our basis is not philosophy or worldly system. Our basis is the living Word of God, Jesus Christ. So what does that look like to us? Think about that for a moment. When you live according to the basic principles of this world and not of Scripture, you have all sorts of excuses for sin. Let me give you an example. If a man has a problem with alcohol, the world calls him an alcoholic, a man with a sickness, whereas the Bible calls him a drunkard, a man with a sin problem. If a person has a problem with stealing constantly with no reason, uh, for no reason, they are a kleptomaniac, a person with a sickness, rather than what the Bible calls them, a thief, a person with a sin problem. There are those who have a sexual addiction, but they claim to have sickness, a, a problem that is being treated for you. The Bible calls them a fornicator and an adulterer, a person with a sin problem. These and many other philosophies based on man's view of things have become uh, the worldly traditional way of handling things. The basic principles of this world is what Paul is saying here. You know, the biggest basic lie today is that the Bible is not sufficient to answer the needs of the heart. I'm concerned with increasing numbers of believers 
who are wasting their money and their time with unbelieving psychologists and psychiatrists when their problems are specifically dealt with in scriptures. Paul in verse 8 that says the basic principles of this world are not, in verse 8, according to Christ. Not according to Christ's teaching, according to Christ himself. Because Christianity is Christ. It's knowing him, it's loving him, it's walking in him. It is what Peter says in 2 Peter 1.3 that God through Jesus Christ and His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. This brings us to point number two. Believe. Believing in Him that He's all sufficient. Look at verses 9 and 10. We need to believe that in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Uh, we're Godhead. We don't use that very commonly. I mean, the word itself means deity. It encompasses what the Bible teaches about God and the Trinity. The Bible clearly teaches that there's one true God. He is revealed or manifested in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each independent of each other, but never do they act independently. There are many People, I like to give a, you know, an analogy of what people say the Trinity is like. Cults think that we as believers believe in a, a three-headed God. But we come up with these different models, these different concepts, and, and, well, I got it all figured out. The Trinity is like man who's composed of body, soul, and spirit. Or like the sun who's composed of motion, light, and heat. Or, or matter itself which is made of solids, liquid, and gases. Or, I know, it, it's like an egg, you know, the shell, the yolk, and the whites. Listen, no one can really explain it adequately because the physical description we use or the concept in our minds all falls short. And it diminishes the truth of God. No wonder Paul says in verse 3 concerning Jesus, in whom are all hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, Jesus is not merely great. He was, is, and always will be God. And that's why he should have preeminence in our lives. And Paul says, believe in verse 10, that you are complete in him who is ahead of all principality and power. That word for complete in the Greek language is a great word. It's, it's plero. It means to fill to the top so that nothing should be wanting. It means filling up to the brim. Remember the old brim coffee commercials? Fill to the brim with brim coffee. Probably don't because it's a long time ago, but... Here we're, we're filled to the brim in Him. It means in Christ you are completely full. Everything you need is found in Him. There's no room for anything else. Christ is the answer. What is the question? What do you need today? Are you carried away by human philosophy? Then turn to Christ. Are you carried away by enticing words? Turn to Christ. Are you carried away by the systems and the traditions of men? Turn to Christ. He is the head of all principality and power. Again, that's a description of the deity of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more practical or more proper uh, than a simple proper understanding of, of who Jesus is. He is a unique and eternal God-man, the second person of the Trinity. We are complete in Him, filled to the brim in Him. So believe in Him. Point number three, behave. Look at verse 11. In Him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now to this third point, behave, we have to go back a little bit to the word beware. Because as we just read in verse 11, and in the following three verses, Paul is addressing an issue that was brought up by the Judaizers concerning circumcision. Now warning against false teachers was something Paul was passionate about. In fact, over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, 
he issued this warning. He said, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Now, Paul wasn't referring to Dobermans or Rottweilers or pit bulls. In fact, the word for dog that he's actually referring to there is that of the Judaizers. Now, what did these guys do and why is Paul placed to beware of dog sign about them? Well, they're the ones that actually acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Messiah. However, they were not convinced that Jesus' death was sufficient to cover the law. They felt they needed to add to the law or follow the law, adhere to the law. The 613 missional laws, they still kept while acknowledging Christ as their Savior. And therefore, because they lived to this standard, because they thought that it was, they were so right in the traditions of men, as Paul called it, they judged you accordingly. If you weren't doing it, then something was wrong in your walk with the Lord. You were not complete in Him. You were not filled to the brim. Rather, to be a Christian, you needed to be, and what they, what they said was circumcised if you were men. You know, in a sense, we have Judaizers today in the church. It's not enough that you've fallen in love with Jesus. Uh, they can be like dogs and sin sniffers and, and, and doctrine diggers, and, and that's how they behave. They see you in your simplicity and your love for Jesus and your worship for Him, but they're right at your feet going, I don't know about you, is there any inconsistency in your life? And, and there's this judging, and, and when they can't find sin, maybe they attack your character or your integrity. It's like a dog sniffing around, sin in your life, sniffing for anything they might disagree with in your life that they can bark at you with. Let me tell you, for, for 17 years I worked for the Postal Service, and uh, getting dogs barking at me was kind of a, a regular thing, and, and uh, wasn't real fond of it. Today I'm not really fond of dogs because of that, but uh, I remember one time on a new route that I was on, in particular, I'm walking along, it's 9 o'clock in the morning, the day is beautiful, it's quiet, you know, the, it's a blue sky, just, just peaceful as can be, and I come to this fence, walk into this house, and all of a sudden, and man, I went, the mail went flying, I went flying, I jumped a mile in the air, I pulled out my mace, and I'm looking around, and the dog was behind the fence, so it couldn't get me, but, but it scared the daylights out of me. So the next day, I vowed to get revenge. I knew where that dog was, and I walked up, he was quiet. Then I pulled out that pepper spray, and before he could, yeah, pssst. Okay, it was wrong, Okay. I know it was wrong, and, and, and uh, I repented of it after I got saved. But, but here's the thing. <laughs> Except for the revenge part, that's what these Judaizers were doing. They were the little yap-yap dogs, you know? I mean, imagine for a moment what it would have been like to have been a Jewish believer back then. I mean, here you are, you get up and you're worshiping the Lord, worshiping God through Jesus Christ, and, and you're coming outside of your tent and just kind of walking down the path, thanking God for the liberation from the law, thanking God for your freedom in Christ. Maybe you're singing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. And you're just worshiping the Lord. All of a sudden, you know, this Judaizer comes along and gets in your face and, 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 and you go, oh. What about those meat sacrifices they say to you? What about, what about those drink sacrifices? What about the ceremonial washing? Are you telling me you're not going to do any more of the washing? You're not going to wash your hands like that? Not only that, but you as a Christian Jewish person, in faith in this attack, you look across the ravine, look across the Golden Heights, and you see the temple. And maybe you see the smoke coming up from the evening sacrifices. And you know that some of your family members are over there still adhering to the sacrificial side of the law. But you also know as a believer that Jesus paid the price. You know that you've been set free from that responsibility, but now you've got this Judaizer coming along the side of you, barking at your feet, 
And what he really wants you to know, wants to know is if you're now that you're a Christian, have you been circumcised? Are you following the law? And what you want to say is that none of your business. I'm following the law of love. It's the law of God shed abroad in, in our hearts through Christ Jesus. We are complete in Christ. So don't be laying this trip on me about how I need to still obey the law. Christ Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. I'm not bound by them any longer. I'm free in Christ. Yes, I've been circumcised, but it's a circumcision of the heart. That's Paul's point in verse 11 here. In him you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of, the, of Christ. This is back to our point number three, our behavior. Paul describes the circumcision of our heart. He says, putting off the body of sins of the flesh. In other words, that the, the sins of the flesh need to be cut off, removed, done away with. Circumcision, a change in behavior. Now, the, the sins of the flesh here refer to the sinful, fallen human nature totally dominating believers before salvation. See, there's a part of your heart that loves to gossip. There's a part of your heart that can't stand to see someone else succeed. There's a part of your heart that hates it when others have things that you don't have. There's a part of your heart that's so self-centered it can't see straight. There's a part of your heart that is drawn to the most sinful, wicked things imaginable. Do you know why I know so much about your heart? Because <laughs> my heart is the same as your heart. It's filled with those things. They're, they're like blotches of cancer that they can't be cured. They only need to be cut out. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. We've been cleansed from the, the sinful dominance. We've been given a new nature in Christ Jesus. We've been circumcised. The circumcision made without hands. A spiritual one. Circumcision of the heart. A heart change. And a heart change produces a behavioral change. Now that flies in the face of worldly philosophy of our day. Which says, hey, we're not that bad. We're all basically good people. who sometimes just do bad things. But that just isn't true. The Bible says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. In other words, we're rotten to the core because the core of our problem is a heart problem. We need a new heart. A heart that longs for God. A heart that is after God and wants to please God. A heart that wants to do nothing that would displease Him. And that's what Jesus gives to us when we commit our hearts and lives to Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, Paul makes it clear. Once you've given your life to Him, to Jesus Christ, Old things have passed away. All things become new. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 6.15, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. That brings us back to verse 12 and 13. We are complete in Him. Paul describes what that means. Look at verse 12. We've been buried with Him in baptism, which you also were raised with Him through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now again, he's not talking about a, a literal baptism, so to speak, but what baptism symbolizes, a, a death and a resurrection. Jesus died, rose again, and when we come to Christ, we identify with, with his death. Our old nature, that old heart has been crucified with Christ, buried in that tomb, but as Jesus rose, he's now imparted to us that we can rise from our old sins and walk in a newness of life. We're no longer in bondage to those old impulses. No longer governed by those old feelings of lust or bitterness or whatever it is. That old nature is dead. And as the pirates tell us, dead men tell no tales, you know. 
Because God in Christ Jesus has redeemed us from all of our sins. He has made us alive together with Him and forgiven us of all of our trespasses. Look at verse 14. He's wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and He's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Getting back to the law, the handwriting of requirements refers to the law. All of us have been guilty of breaking God's laws. Very long list here. But in Christ. We've been forgiven of breaking the law. Now we are free from the penalty for breaking God's laws. How Jesus paid the penalty. We all know the saying, Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. He nailed it to the cross. The words that Jesus said on the cross, to tell us die, it is finished, paid in full. All of our sins, all of our trespasses, Jesus paid for at the cross. Listen, we're not going to find forgiveness of sins anyplace else. Buddha doesn't offer forgiveness of sin. Muhammad doesn't offer forgiveness of sin. If the issue is sin, there's only one cure, there's only one place for forgiveness, it's through Jesus Christ and Him alone. And understand, it's complete forgiveness. He's forgiven us us of all our sin. When you came to Christ Jesus and you confessed your sin and your need for a Savior, God gave you life. He took all all of your sin, past, present, and future, buried in the deepest sea as far as the east is from the west. He's put us from us. The power of sin has been done away with. Paul tells us in Romans 6, 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So again, our belief should affect our behavior. If we truly believe 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, something incredible happened. My old sin nature was crucified with him. Then I am going to behave differently. That this body of sin might be done away with means render inactive. It means paralyzed. It means it doesn't mean annihilated. So then, therefore, when, when your old sin nature screams, man, man, you got to you got to take that smoke. You got to drink that drink, or toy with that fantasy, or lose your temper, or gossip. Paul says here that although our poor old nature can yell and scream, he's powerless to act. The cross paralyzed it. So let me give you an example. You're there in the grocery store. You're on a diet. That Snickers bar is calling your name. That old sin nature whispers, you got to have it. That rich milk, chocolate, chewy caramel, the peanuts. Just got to have it. Just think how much you'll enjoy it. You have no power over it. It's just a great temptation and you steal it. Now, on the basis of Romans 6 and Colossians 2, before you take that candy bar, you can say, I yield this hand to you, Lord, and you'll be set free. Listen, none of us would think about stealing a candy bar. What about losing your temper? Do you say, Lord, I yield my voice to you? How about when you talk bad about another person? Lord, I yield my words to you. Before you look at that website, Lord, I yield my eyes to you. Our belief should affect our behavior. Listen, even if you will pause and even audibly, if necessary, yield to the Lord whatever instrument of your body with which you're struggling with, your desire to sin will decrease dramatically. Why? Because you've been set free from the power of sin. Not only that, Jesus has in verse 15, and we'll close and enter a time of communion. Verse 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them in it. See, finally, Paul tells us that Jesus' death on the cross spelled the ultimate doom of Satan and his evil host of fallen angels. They've been disarmed. 
Their power has been stripped. They have been defeated. They have been humiliated in the spiritual realm. And we've been given authority and spiritual weapons to keep them in their place. So we are complete in Christ. The Bible says if we submit to God, draw near to God, submit to Him, and resist the devil, God's Word says He will flee from us. That's why we're complete in Him. He has cut away and will cut, continue to cut away those areas of our old nature that continue to drag us down, to continue to pull us down. He's baptized us into His death and resurrection. So now we can walk in that newness of life. He's forgiven us of all of our sins and blotted out the charges that were pending against us. And he has defeated and disarmed and humiliated the demonic powers that want to hassle you. The weapons no longer work on you. You have the Spirit of God in you. And all we have to do is walk in his ways. Complete. Abide in that completeness. It's a choice we make. I like what John MacArthur writes. I put it in our sila, in our bulletin for today. You can take a look at it if you want. Take it home. Read it again. But he writes this. Everyone has a choice whether to follow human wisdom or to come to Christ. To follow human wisdom is to be kidnapped by the emissaries of Satan and his false system, which leaves a person spiritually incomplete. To come to Christ is to come to the one who alone offers completeness. May those who have found Christ never doubt his efficiency by following any human wisdom. I say amen to that. In other words, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saved. We're saved from so much more than hell. We're saved from ourselves, saved from our sins, from our false beliefs, worldly philosophies, traditions of men, and the fundamental errors of this world. Let the world fix our broken cars. Let computer geeks repair our virus-ridden computers. Let the doctors repair our broken body parts, but don't let them touch your soul. There's only one who is capable of touching our soul and healing our broken hearts, repairing our crushed spirits, and that is Jesus Christ. If you have Jesus, you have it all. You're complete in Him. He's all that we need both now and eternity to come. So beware of that which would take this from you and believe in Jesus Christ. As we close and enter a time of communion, Paul here is talking about the issue of the forgiveness of sin. What does man need? Forgiveness. It's so simple. We are forgiven because of Christ's work on the cross. Therefore, because of that, we must forgive the person who bothers us. The parent who abused us or the spouse who left us. We must realize that Jesus died for them just as much as he died for us. So that as we enter into a time of communion, it's a perfect time to examine our lives, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11. And to see if there's any unforgiveness that you might be holding on to that you need to give it over to the Lord. Maybe it's in a, a, a struggle in your marriage relationship. And you haven't been forgiven. Maybe you haven't been loving your wife as Christ loved the church. Maybe you haven't been submitting to your, to your husband as unto the Lord. Maybe it's in a work situation and, and you kind of just been talking bad about someone behind their back. Maybe it's some old habits that, that's crept into your life and you're going, where did this come from? Communion is that time that we examine our hearts. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. As we come to communion, let's give it all over to the Lord. And we'll find that peace in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time of communion. We thank You, Lord, for the simplicity of just knowing You. 
Lord, we could dive deep into doctrine and 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 talk about all sorts of of different doctrines that are out there, Lord. The warnings against the false doctrines and the false teachings that Paul talks about here in 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 your Word. But ultimately, Lord, it comes back to just simply loving you, trusting in you, relying on you, Lord. Not allowing anything to take away from the joy that we have of knowing you, Lord. Father, now as we prepare to receive communion, Lord, we want to examine our hearts. Lord, if there's anything in there that we need to deal with, Lord, if there's an attitude, an old habit, something that God, you want us to take care of, to get rid of, to give to you. Lord, we pray that we can do so right now. We can find forgiveness, Lord. We just confess, Lord, what we've done is wrong. We can find forgiveness, Lord, if we need strength. We can come to the cross. Remember what you did. We can find strength. If we need a healing, Lord, your word says by your stripes we are healed. We can come and ask for a healing. Lord, thank you so much that we can come to the cross and find you and remember you, what you've done for us. Bless this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.